20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome inside another edition of a Pack a Day Podcast. I am your host today. My name is Nick Schmitz, and I am joined today by my co host, Jacob Westendorf. Jacob, this past weekend, other than actually having food on Thanksgiving, I think you and I can both agree we just didn't have good football weekends. I've I've had better ones. Um, you know, you take my two favorite teams, college and pro, playing my two least favorite teams, and neither one of them went particularly well, and we can just kind of leave that on its own. Yep. And, you know, Jacob... The loss to Minnesota on Sunday puts the Packers at four six and one, and I, I just I, I'm out of things to say about the Packers right now. I, I just this isn't where I imagined them being this season. They certainly seem to have the talent you would think to be better. I know that coming into this this year at this point in the season, I had them pegged at worse. Seven and four, and here they sit four, six, and one. And I'm just out of words to say. I was listening to the podcast yesterday with uh, Matt and Janelle, and they said something that really hit home to me that I didn't really think about until they said it. It's one of those things you hear someone say it out loud, and it seems so true. This this team just they don't they lack energy. It doesn't even seem like they're even happy to be here, to be playing. I mean, I know it's frustrating when when the season's been going this poorly, but it just it feels like they got no get up. They that they come out flat all the time. I mean, I don't even I'm out of things to say, Jacob. Do you have anything to say in particular? Yeah, I mean, it's it's usually a pretty dangerous process when you start doing the body language police thing, but you know, it seems like this team has like one of two ways. Like you mentioned, they come out flat, they start slow, they're in a hole, and then they're fighting all the way back the rest of the game. Or as soon as one thing goes wrong, they crumble. For example, it's 14 apiece Sunday night. The Packers go for it on fourth and one. They call, in my opinion, at least a pretty bad play in order to try and pick that fourth down up. And then as soon as that happened, the game is over. The Packers would kick a field goal in, you know, when the game was a two-possession game at that point. And that was it as far as their scoring for the rest of the night. And in an era, again, this is the part of this season that is the most amazing to me. We have an era and a season where scoring is at an all-time high. The Chicago Bears have a below-average quarterback, and they are still putting up points with relative ease at times. The Packers don't do that. Everything feels like an absolute struggle to get down the field and score points. We're even just talking about field goals at this point. They cannot score points. They don't do anything with any sort of consistency. If the offense plays well, then the defense is bad. If the defense plays well, the offense is bad. Special teams, well, they're never really all that good. So that's the one thing I guess that you could say is consistent is they're consistently awful on the special team sides of things. But, yeah, I mean, it's tough to come up with things to talk about because – it's frustrating, and it's the same thing every single week that you're looking at. And even as, you know, at halftime, I was telling everybody I know, like, I know how this game ends. Green Bay will be disappointing in the second half, and they're going to lose. It's on the road. 
That's especially true on the road. And, I mean, the stories of the season are written at this point. It's really just – it's a situation that we as Packers fans have not been in in a very long time to where the team is just playing out the string. And, I mean, I, per, I know the numbers say there's a 3% chance that the Packers make the playoffs – I don't even think that that's feasible because in order to do that, Nick, you mentioned it pre-show, the Packers have not won back-to-back games this season. They've played 11 games. They've never won back-to-back games in 2018. How in the hell can I expect them to win five games in a row when they can't even put two together? And especially true when, when they take the field against the Chicago Bears on December 16th. It will have been a full calendar year since they've won a game on the road. I can't believe that they're going to win. So, yeah, they're playing out the string. This season is over, and, you know, now it's just a matter of whether or not you're rooting for them to play for a draft pick or, you know, whatever it is that you're, that you're looking at. But they're not going to the playoffs. And even by the small miracle stroke that they do, I mean, how can you not expect them to get bombed by if they had to play the Rams, if they even won a playoff game, if they had to play the Rams or go to New Orleans, God forbid, it's just not going to happen. It's not Green Bay's year. It hasn't been all year. It really hasn't been for the last three years. I think hindsight can definitely be a benefit here. But, yeah, it's been – Green Bay's been in trouble and pretty damn average for about three seasons now. Well, you know, and so a couple of things there. You know, first of all, I totally agree. They can't win. They haven't won back-to-back games. I don't see them winning five straight. The other problem is, is the two wild cards that you're looking at right now, if we go into that route quick of, can they make the playoffs if they win five straight, right? That'd make them nine, six, and one. The problem is two teams sitting ahead of you, Minnesota and Seattle, who both have wild card spots right now, they both hold tiebreakers with you. So it's not just as simple as winning the last five games. You're now needing lots of help elsewhere. And I mean, I know the Vikings, they got a tough schedule coming up. But, you know, the Seahawks, they got a almost a cake schedule for the rest of the year. I think they got they got five games left. I think four of them are at home. And, and so, I mean, you really expect me to believe that Seattle's going to drop, what, they need to drop two or three in order for us to move past them? I just don't see it happening. But, you know, Jacob, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, for the last three years, they've been really struggling. And I was thinking about this the other night, and we can kind of wipe away last year because I think we can both agree that a lot of struggles last year came with the fact that Aaron Rodgers was hurt, right? Brett Hundley, let's just not start on that. I don't think anybody needs that. But I was starting to think about this, that... 2015 was when the struggles really started. And I started thinking about, you know, what kind of led to that. And 2015 was the year that Jordy Nelson tore his ACL in the preseason. And that was a very strange year to me because Jordy Nelson tore his ACL. And it's the year after coming off of 12 wins, 12-4, and and the debacle in the playoffs against Seattle in the NFC Championship game. So I'm thinking that there have been either two things. Either Green Bay just has not moved past that NFC Championship game, 
or Jordy Nelson meant way more to this offense than we realize. Now, I'm not saying if he was on the team this year because I know he's been banged up in Oakland, he's getting up there in age, but I'm just wondering if maybe simply replacing him with Devontae hasn't solved things because he tears his ACL, they bring in James Jones in 2015 to replace him because he had been with the Packers before. That's literally why they signed him. They start the season 6-0. and They go into their bye week, and then they finish the season 4-6. and And if it's not for a miraculous Hail Mary that should never have been caught because Detroit decided on untimed down to have two defenders guarding the sideline, I mean, you know, like, you know, they make the playoffs, though, and then they beat Washington, and they come close, they get another Hail Mary against the Cardinals, and almost pull that one out, right? And then the very next year, Jordy Nelson comes back, but they start off four and six, right? And then they have the miraculous, you know, they run the table, as Aaron Rodgers puts it. And then they go to the NFC Championship game, and it's almost like they ran out of gas, right? I mean, how, like, am I... Am I off my rocker for thinking that they really, really, like Jordy Nelson was a key component to this offense that they really just haven't found a way to replace? And I mean, obviously they've replaced him with Devontae Adams, but I would argue that Devontae Adams has now become Jordy Nelson, and every time Jordy Nelson's been in Green Bay, he's always had at least a decent number two to offset that. And I know they got rookies right now, but I mean, I'm really starting to believe that Jordy Nelson has been a key part of the offense for the last couple of years and replacing him is essential now. And they haven't done that yet. No, they haven't. And you know, you mentioned even last year, even when Rogers was healthy, Devonte Adams was the team's number one wide receiver. Nelson was their number two. That doesn't get a whole lot of, uh, discussion because Rodgers missed some of the year and that kind of clouds some of the judgment that comes in with last season. But like you mentioned, 2014, for example, the best offense the Packers have had in recent memory. Jordy was their number one, absolutely. But they had Randall Cobb and they had Randall Cobb had the best season of his career that year. Devontae Adams was a young, promising rookie. They had weapons and they had a really good one two punch in their run game with Eddie Lacey and James Starks as well. Now, Devontae Adams is new Jordy, if you will, like you mentioned. And after that, there's just not a whole lot there. I know the rookies have been kind of a darling to some degree. Valdez Scantling has had some good games. St. Brown has had some flashes. But none of them are consistently good. We're talking about best games for somebody where they have four catches for you know 80 yards and a touchdown. Now, that's a good game. But it's never been consistent. Equinemia St. Brown had a good game for him on Sunday night, and he had three catches. Like, it's hard to build a consistent offense when... Now, there's plenty of blame to go around. You know, Mike McCarthy's offense is old and outdated. There's some truth to that. Aaron Rodgers isn't playing as well as he has in recent memory. There's some truth to that. But the receivers, I think... You know, the Packers... A lot of people don't talk about this. The Packers believed wide receiver was a need this offseason. They offered a lot of money to Allen Robinson. He signed in Chicago. They were interested in Sammy Watkins. He signed in Kansas City. 
wide receiver is going to be one of those positions you'll hear me talk about a lot this offseason as a position they need to overhaul because they are really far removed from the days of when they had Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, James Jones, Jermichael Finley. I mean, you could take any of that group of three guys, just pick three of those guys in any combination, and they would all start for this team, this year's team at present juncture. So the offense, you know, this is kind of the storyline within the storyline, if you will. The defense has been so bad in recent memory that they've spent so much draft capital on the defense that they kind of neglected the offense. The last high pick they made on offense was Devontae Adams, and that was four years ago. That's a really long time. I would like to see this position rebuilt in the offseason. Nelson's certainly a key cog, but, yeah, as you mentioned, the compliments to Adams as the number one just are not there. And whether that's health, inconsistency from a rookie, whatever the reasons are, they've struggled to, to replicate the success that they've had on offense, and they need to figure out a way to do it because I know the old saying is defense wins championships. I think that's old and outdated. You can't have the worst defense in the NFL like the Packers had in 2011. But if you're going to go to the Superdome and play against Drew Brees or to the Coliseum and play against Jared Goff and Sean McVay and that whole team or in the Super Bowl and face Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger, you better be able to put up some points. I mean, last year, the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl and scored 41 points. The previous year, the Patriots scored 34 points. You got to score points in today's NFL. You know, 24 isn't going to get it done anymore. So the offense definitely has uh, some of the blame to go around, and they need to figure that out. And I mean, this is kind of more of an off-season topic, but they definitely need to get that going sooner than later. Right. And you know, what's I want to move to this other topic here because I've had some people ask me about it, and uh, we'll talk about it quickly, and then we'll move on to other topics. But the idea of firing Mike McCarthy midseason, right? I, I know you laugh at it. I laugh at it. Uh, and we talked before the show. We're both on the same page as with the exact same reason as to why we don't think that's a good idea. So I, I just want to I want to say a couple of things, and I want to get your perspective on it. First of all, I, I think let's be real. I mean, I think if if we're if we're talking fair and objective. Barring a five and O last month of the season, and I mean that might not even do it. I I think we're, we're it's fair to say Mike McCarthy has coached his last season in Green Bay. So if you're going with that, why would you fire him midseason anyway? It's so far into the season that there's really no point in doing it, and you know I, I just. You know, Jacob, I'll let you take it from here because I know we pretty much have the exact same reason for why you don't fire him. Yeah, well, there's a couple things. First of all, if you're firing your coach midseason, there's a few reasons for it. One, at this point in the year, you're hoping for a spark to kind of get you to the playoffs. They do that a lot in hockey, for example. I can't believe I know that, but I do. And the other reasons are if you have maybe a coach on your staff that you want to think uh, could have a chance at being your head coach in 2019 or whatever the next year is. The Packers don't have one of those. Joe Philbin was a bad head coach in Miami. I have no desire to relive that. And basically, you're hiring a carbon copy of Mike McCarthy if you do that. I don't see any reason to do that. Mike Pettin has said he doesn't want to be a head coach. I take him at his word for that. I don't want a defensive-minded head coach anyways. The other thing is, 
you the example I use is Southern California, USC Trojan football. They fired Steve Sarkeesian because of some of his issues. Clay Helton took over, and they went on a run, played really good at the end of that season. And they hired, USC hired him basically out of emotion. And I think if you make head coaching hires with emotion, you set yourself up for failure. And now USC has been rumored to be looking to fire their head coach. It sounds like they're not going to do that this year, but we're not that far removed from that. I don't want to see that. Um, I just want to remove that possibility altogether. Also, if, as I mentioned, the Packers are not going to make the playoffs anyways, I know Mike McCarthy's kind of a punchline these days. I understand uh, being frustrated with him as the head coach, but the reality is he's still the best coach in the history of this franchise, not named Vince Lombardi. So, with that in mind, if you're not making the playoffs anyways, I believe at least McCarthy has earned the right to be fired on the day after the season, coach his team for the rest of the year like he would on any other year. No sense embarrassing him at this point. And with all the other reasons I mentioned, firing him at this point just doesn't make sense. The only reason they would fire him now is essentially trying to satisfy the Twitter mob. And I think the old adage is if you listen to the fans, one day you'll be sitting with them. So no need to do yep. that now. Yeah, so I just wanted to touch on that because I know people have been saying, well, why don't they fire him midseason? This is exactly why you don't want to get strong-armed into having to hire the interim head coach next year if somehow you like what you see, right? I say just play it out and then get yourself a whole fresh batch of who's ever out there on the market for the year. All right, Jacob, well, let's move into this weekend's game. I know it's maybe not as exciting because you're not necessarily talking about a playoff push, but I wanted to talk about something that I thought was, and maybe I I feel like a lot of this is just due to my pessimistic view of the Packers so far this year. I cannot believe that the Packers are a 14-point favorite this weekend. Now, I understand they're playing at home, and they're playing the Cardinals, who are 2-9. and nine. But, I mean, this is a line I would expect from Green Bay if they were, like, 8-3 and three or something like that. I mean, they're 4-6-1, and one, and Aaron Rodgers struggles this year to throw for 200 yards in a game. I mean, this has got to be solely based on the fact that they only got four wins, and they've all come at Lambeau, which is where this game is being played. I mean, what does this number mean to you? Like, when you hear 14-point favorite this weekend, how do you react to that? Well, first of all, I think it's a reputation line. Uh, the Packers, historically, have been very good. They're very good at Lambeau Field. And the Cardinals this year are not good. They're starting a rookie quarterback. Uh, the last time the Packers played a rookie quarterback at Lambeau Field, it was a shutout. So maybe that's played into it a little bit as well. But I'm with you. I mean, I would not be surprised at all if Arizona covered this or if it was like a backdoor cover for Green Bay, you know, a late touchdown to kind of put things away. I mean, I expect Green Bay to win. It's a home game against bad teams. Even this year, they win those games. You know, they beat Chicago at home. Chicago's not a bad team, but they've beaten Chicago at home. Uh, they beat the Bills at home. They beat the Dolphins at home. And the, I mean, even the Brock Osweiler-led Dolphins are better than this version of the Arizona Cardinals. I don't picture a scenario where they lose, but that is definitely a line that feels too high. Yeah, I was very surprised to see that. Well, and you know what? Here, here we'll, we'll squeeze this in just because nobody asked for it and nobody cares. 
Uh, but, you know, we're playing the Cardinals this weekend. And today, in case you didn't know that Quentin Rollins was cut nine days after being put on IR, I had no idea. Um, he is now signed with the Arizona Cardinals, so he'll be coming back to Green Bay this weekend. I don't know how the rules work with him being placed on IR and cut. I don't know if he's eligible to play, but there's your, um, what do you want to call it? Useless fact of the day, I guess, in your, uh, tidbit of Packers news. All right, Jacob, the question everybody in Green Bay has been dying to know, and I know you roll your eyes at this. I'm just excited more because with the Packers being out of the playoffs, I just want to see it. It's it's more of a entertainment value, if you will. As of right now, from what we know, Jake Kumaro has not been added to the active roster. He's been removed from IR. He was eligible to play Sunday against the Vikings. They chose not to give him a roster spot. Do we get to see Whitewater Jesus this weekend? <laughs> Whitewater Jesus. Wow, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, what the hell? Uh, you know, Trevor Davis is hurt. I imagine he won't be back. It's the same injury that's hindered him all year. Uh, Randall Cobb has not played. He was, I don't know if he was close to being active on Sunday or not. But now you're looking at a roster that's injured relatively well at the receiver position. And that doesn't even include the fact that Jimmy Graham's gutting it out with a broken thumb at this point. Which, I just have to say, I know Jimmy Graham has not lived up to his contract. But I definitely appreciate his willingness to gut through a broken thumb. It would be very easy for somebody at his salary and his stature to say, forget that. I'm not playing with that injury. He has. He is certainly an upgrade. Uh, at minimum from a character standpoint over he who must not be named from last season uh, as the tight end that was in Green Bay for about 20 minutes. So I appreciate that. As for the receiver spot, I mean, here's kind of my thing with where the Packers are at too is, and I don't know if they will do this because Mike McCarthy has to give himself an argument to be the head coach next season, and I'm sure that he'll do that Uh And that is, I'm kind of wanting to see, you know, who do you have with the younger guys? Can Oren Burks play? Can Josh Jones play? Can Josh Jackson play? Kumaro's not necessarily a younger guy, if you will, but he has a higher percentage chance of being on this roster next season than, say, Randall Cobb. Um, I think Randall Cobb's number is right at about zero. Uh, Maybe, I'll give him about a 5% chance, I guess, of being back. Kumaro, at minimum, because he won't cost anything, We'll be back on the roster next season as a training camp type of player. Well, so now, and this is, I think this is why, I know personally for me, it's part of the reason why I've been clamoring for him to be on the field is because you go back to training camp and there was that day or week, I don't remember how long of a period it was, but Aaron Rodgers was, outside of Devontae Adams, he was, lack of a better word, pissed with the receivers. And... He had mentioned three players that he thought was doing well. I believe one was D'Angelo Yancey, who's not with the team anymore. I don't remember who the other one was. And Jake Kumaro. And I, you know, I think it's one of those things that Aaron Rodgers, he's he's got Brett Favre stature now, right? He says, hey, I want to see so-and-so on the field. And it's almost like, why Why do you not listen to him? And I think fans fans never got to see him because as well as Kumaro played in preseason, 
he never played with Rodgers. He always was catching passes from Hundley and Kaiser. And it, and it looked good with those two. And so the assumption is, the translation is, well, if it looked good with those two buffoons, uh, you know, it's got to look really good with Rodgers, right? My my argument, now see, here's the thing. I don't necessarily agree with that because I think my whole argument with Aaron Rodgers is, and I think it's part of the problem this year, is Aaron Rodgers is a very precise person and he is all about rapport. And if he can't trust that you're going to be where he's going to put the football, he's not even going to bother looking at you. And so as as much as I would love to see it, and I really do, partially because... It's fun, and uh, I mean, when was the last time you had this much hype around a player that nobody knew about? Well, see, now you just got to go and ruin the whole thing, because that'll probably be what he'll turn out to be. Uh, But, you know, just, you know, give him a chance with Rodgers. Why not? Rodgers seemed to like him. You know, what the hell, right? Why not? You're at the point in the season where I think you you just try things, right? If Randall Cobb's not going to be back next year, don't play him. He's not part of the team anymore if you're not going to bring him back, right? Put people out there that will at least be in camp, right? Maybe because, like you said, Kumaro, he might not make the team, but he'll probably be in camp. So, man, I just, I just want to see it. I, I'm sorry. This is, this, is, this is my fandom coming out right here because I just... All right, we'll move on. I digress. So, Whitewater Jesus, maybe he'll make an appearance this weekend. Maybe he won't. Last thing I want to touch on before we wrap this up, because I'm sure we're well over time. Uh, can we just end on a positive note here? And can we just talk about what a baller Jair Alexander is? I mean, I mean, at the beginning of the year, Jacob, I mean, I don't know where you stand, but I know at the beginning of the year, you and I were very much on the same page with Aaron Jones being like, hey, he's got to be the guy. He, he should be the starting running back. And he, he dropped on my list of favorite players from one to two simply because of Jair Alexander's play on that screen pass. And I know Janelle and Matt talked about it yesterday, but I mean, I, that was the only time I got excited during the game on Sunday. He comes up, just absolutely throws Adam Thielen into Stefan Diggs. I mean... He's fun. I, I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Jacob? I love Jair Alexander. Uh, he's certainly not perfect. He's not a shutdown corner yet or anything like that. He certainly had his struggles against Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs on Sunday. So does Darrell Revis, you know, just for a name drop there. Um, Alexander, he was somebody, admittedly, I'm eating crow on. Uh, Nick, we didn't know each other at the time of my draft board, but Alexander was not that high on it uh, for – Reference sake, my number one corner on the board was Josh Jackson. Uh, So take that for what you will. I still think Jackson can turn out to be a good player, but it is clear Jair Alexander is polished, and his energy is infectious. I think that his personality is perfect for a team trying to build around a young star on defense. Basically, here's the way I put it over the weekend. You remember 2011, 2012, 2013, that sort of time frame where When Clay Matthews was not in the game, in the lineup, the defense was very different. That's what Alexander is now. Because the defense was very different in the two games Alexander missed as opposed to the games he has played in. He's not there yet, 
but he is going to be a star. You mentioned that screenplay that he's blown up. He is the perfect weapon matchup for the type of players that have completely tormented the Packers in recent years. And it kind of bugs me because I know now Green Bay would match up relatively well with New England if they were to play in a Super Bowl. Because Jair Alexander, you could throw him on that slot receiver that the Patriots love, whichever random white dude is in the slot now. Alexander would say, okay, that's erased. And I think that, you know, they have a really good chance at building a young, solid second, at minimum solid. I really think that the potential of Kevin King, Josh Jackson, and Jair Alexander as your top three is, I think that potential is very high. And that's something, once we get to the offseason, I mean, that's something we'll be talking about as a building block is if Kevin King is healthy, which has definitely been a question, that's a fair question at this point, if Josh Jackson develops and Jair Alexander is the player that we all think he is, the Packers look to have a a young stud on their hands. And to boot, Brian Gutekunst got another first-round pick for the right to select him. So, I mean, that is absolutely phenomenal draft work. It looks like that second first-round pick is going to be in the 30s, which kind of stinks. But it is an extra first-round pick that they haven't had ever in my lifetime, so I love it. Yeah, I think I think I if I did the math correctly, I think if the season were to end today, the highest that pick could be is twenty three or twenty four. And by highest, I mean lowest. I however the hell you want to look at it, but right. And that's assuming they lose a home game in the first round of the playoffs against right. a team like Dallas, Carolina, or Seattle. Yeah, which I don't see happening, but you never know. They he could maybe use it as some draft capital for trade and. Um, but I just, I just love how Jair Alexander, he rec- when he recognizes where the play is going, he is there. Like I don't think I've ever seen him not be in on a play. I, I and I just remember, I, I don't really know why this play stands out to me, but when they played the Dolphins at home this year, they threw a screen pass, and Jair Alexander, who is what short, five ten, all of one hundred and eighty pounds or something like that, he's not big. And he recognizes that it's a screen pass to the running back, and he goes and takes out the one lineman that's out there blocking, which allows, I believe it was Blake Martinez, to come up and make the tackle right away on the running back. He's, I mean, it's just stuff like that. He recognizes the play, and he's like, well, there's the ball. I'm going to go get it. And I just love that about him. It's, it's so refreshing to see. Packer fans, if there's anything to be excited about, please be excited about this man because, while like you said, Jacob, while he is not perfect and he is not fully there yet, barring injury, I don't see how he doesn't become a stud and a key part of this defense. I think he is, at this point, destined to be a big part of this defense for, for years to come. Yeah, and he's going to be, if the Packers defense ever becomes good, like really good, Alexander is going to be that dude that everybody hates, you know, similar to what Richard Sherman was when yep. the Seahawks defense was the Legion of Boom. That's what you're looking at. And the nice part about that is if everybody hates you, it's probably because you're good. So something to look forward to. There isn't much. <laughs> there hasn't been much this season, admittedly. But if there is something to look forward to, uh, it, Jair Alexander becoming a star on this defense going forward. All right, Packer fans, you heard it. Whitewater Jesus and Jair Alexander. That is the future 
of Green Bay football? Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. All right. Well, we are out of time for the day here. Jacob, if people want to follow anything that you're doing, I know you're on Twitter. How can they do that? I am at Jacob Westendorf. That's E-N. That's really the only thing that anybody ever seems to mess up as far as my name goes anymore. Sometimes they think it's an I-N. Sometimes they think there's two S's. But, yeah, give me a follow. Give me a chat. It's been fun talking with you guys over, you know, whether we're talking who the next head coach will be or anything that's going on on the field. I've enjoyed it. So, yeah, give me a follow. Reach out. Uh, let's chat. All right. Awesome. And I am your host, Nick Schmitz. You can follow me at Sports Schmitty. Uh, just so you know, my opinions on Twitter are very unqualified. Uh, just want to throw that out there. So don't take anything I say at face value. Tomorrow, it's podcast Thursday. They'll be hopefully, I'm assuming they'll be getting you ready for the game. 14-point favorite Green Bay Packers, Steve and Dusty. Keep an eye out for them. Make sure to find them on Twitter as well. I'm sure they'll let you know in the podcast tomorrow on how you can do that. We're out of time for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope we brought some clarity to where the Packers are and maybe some smiles with Whitewater Jesus. Pray to him or whoever it is that you pray to, as you like to say, Jacob. Thank you for listening, guys. And as always, Go Pack Go! Jones continues in the backfield behind Rodgers. Valdez Scantling to the right side. Devontae to the left. EQ on the wing left side. Rodgers under center on second and seven of the Vikings. 15. Ball to the right hash. Rodgers takes back to throw. Swings left side. Got Adams. Makes the turn to the pylon. And he's forced out of bounds. He's in play for the touchdown. Second and two. Six-yard line of Minnesota. Tied at seven apiece. Graham tight end right side of the line. Three receivers bunch on the left. Rodgers under center. It's motion to the right. Here's the pitch. Jones around the left end. He's got Bakhtiari blocking in front. Jones makes the turn of the pylon to the end zone for the touchdown. Slot left with three receivers left. One to the right. Rodgers shotgun. Williams to his right. Rodgers takes the snap. Looks. Wings it over the middle. Get Jimmy Graham between the hash marks. Cross the 35. Out to the 36-yard line of Green Bay. Out of the shotgun, three receivers left. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, steps up. He throws deep down the right side. He's got Devontae down the sidelines, cross the 30, into the Minnesota 25-yard line.